Hi, I'm Laura. Hey, I'm Stefan, and you're listening to Attributed, a podcast library by Dream Data. The purpose of it is to store and share all the knowledge that we have gathered across Dream Data employees through our LinkedIn Lives, podcasts, and webinars. The typical topics you'll find here can be stuff like marketing, sales, B2B ads, operations, social selling, maybe. I am so excited for the topic today. We have been working offices side by side with Michelle and Aline for so long time. Not anymore. We're very sad. But let me tell you a story why we're here. And we're going to move over to you. So we were having lunch at the office with the ladies as we used to take the lunches together. And we were talking about the differences between UX writing and copywriting. And they shared a document with me. So, oh, this is interesting. I've learned some stuff and I shared it on LinkedIn. And I was really surprised because the topic was so niche, mm. but it was reshared like 20 times or so. And I was like, girls, <laughs> there is a secret, you know, that LinkedIn doesn't know. So we're going to talk about that secret today. Mm -hmm. And before we go and talk about UX writing and copywriting and all that kind of stuff, I would like to hear your story. So welcome, Oline, Michelle. We're very happy to have you here. Kick us off with the story of your company, Copy That, and we're going to talk about the topic right after. Amazing. Well, first of all, thanks for having us. So you, you mentioned, like, how did this all begin and things like that. So technically, this one used to be my boss. She hired me when we were still both working at Trustpilot, and Oline was the manager of the localization and UX writing team. And she and I were essentially the only two UX writers for the entire product department there. We were responsible for all UX copy for nine product teams at the time. And that went well, and we had a lot of success with that. And one day we sort of looked at each other and went... Over dinner. Over dinner <laughs> in Vilnius on a business trip. Um, there's a lot of UX writing teams and a lot of UX writing that has happened in the States. It's yeah. been a thing there for the past decade, 15 years or so. There's a lot of companies that have huge in-house UX writing teams, but the European companies don't have that quite yet. They often only have one UX writer or none at all. So we kind of saw an opportunity to start our UX writing agency, copy that, and essentially offer a freelance service for these companies that wanted to kind of dip their toe into the water and help you know, create the foundation for UX writing in their company and then eventually hand it over to an in-house employee. And we did this in 2020. Yep. Bad timing. We, we, told, <laughs> we, we told our boss and then like a week later, lockdown, COVID happened. And he was like, are you sure you still want to do this? And we're like, yeah, we can do it wow. because it's still going to be yeah. like virtual work. And ironically enough, it ended up being somewhat of a blessing because UX writing is so tightly connected to everything digital and yeah. companies wanting to have success digitally and creating these great experiences for consumers online. And working remotely has helped us actually get in contact with a lot of companies that we might not have been able to connect with before the pandemic. So that's because how that, it all started. They basically yeah. just see us as a member of their team, right? So they bring yeah. us in for the product development process. So just invite us to meetings like they would invite in a full-time UX writer. That's exactly. perfect. Yeah. Absolutely so it's perfect. worked out very well. Mm -hmm. You filled out a really cool niche. We yeah. we have because we had no idea what was going to happen, right? This was just, it was somewhat of an informed gamble. But now two years in, we've worked with B2Cs, B2Bs from startup to enterprise level because every company, they try to follow a fairly similar model when they're product led, but the priorities that they have might differ somewhat from team to team. Oh. But we tend to work together with a lot of product managers, a lot of designers, engineers, but lately also a lot of people in marketing, in customer success, in support. Yeah. Um, a lot can, of our yeah. time is also just spent educating, um, especially European tech companies mm -hmm. on what is UX writing? Yeah. And like, how do you make UX writing an integrated part of your product development process because it is still very new. Yeah. You know, UX Absolutely. design has been around a lot longer. So that's yeah. very established. You know, yeah. most tech companies have quite a few UX designers. Right. Um, and sometimes they have the UX designers also doing the UX research and the UX writing. And then these people are being quite stretched thin. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. And we're going to dig exactly into this. Mm -hmm. A question. Mm. Like, 
when I knew zero about this, yes, I know who a UX designer is. Yes. We have one at Dreamdata. We yes. don't have a US UX writer. So can you give me an example of a copyright mm -hmm. and a UX writing? You what are it. those two differences? Mm -hmm. So we start it. with that. So traditionally, a copywriter has a focus on selling especially with product-led companies. Mm -hmm. They have to write copy that attracts potential customers, that drives them through the funnel, so they eventually convert. It's usually marketing, sales, that has these people working in those departments. So blogs, blog content, blog content marketing is a big website one. content. Marketing website, yeah. things like that. A UX writer sort of takes over the user once they've converted. And then it becomes all about being in the product UI. So our job is to make the product UI as clear and useful and concise as possible. You don't have a lot of noise in the product UI. You want it to be as intuitive as possible. And having something be intuitive takes a lot of hard work. You want users, we always kind of joke around and say, we have done our job if people never noticed that we were ever there, if it was so obvious and so yeah. clear that they just finished doing the task at hand. And we always, nice. always say that UX writing is maybe not even half 50% of writing. It's not about writing. It's about doing the research, figuring out what to say. It's not about the copy on the button. It's about figuring out what the button is supposed to do and if it should even be there. Yeah. So that's it's a lot more yes, UX oriented where Copywriting is more creative writing. Mm. Um, another way we like to sort of distinguish is like the copywriting aspect is really like giving a promise. So when you're out selling people, you're you're promising like yeah. this is what Dream Data is going to deliver on. Yeah. But then they start using the Dream Data app or the online product. Mm -hmm. And are you actually delivering on that promise? That's up to the UX writer now to sort of take the baton yeah. and 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 Continue. help onboard them and make sure yeah. that they actually. That, that dream data retains them because it's unfortunate, Laura, if you spend all this time bringing in the customers mm -hmm. and then you drop the ball, your UXers drop the ball. So mm -hmm. then they stop using dream data yeah, because the product's not good enough. Yeah. Right. So it all has to work together. Yeah. The so, journey doesn't end. This user journey that you're very focused on in dream data doesn't end once they start using product. Yeah. It yeah. continues yeah. and you want to keep them. Mm -hmm. So fantastic. Then if copywriting's goal, more or less what I hear is like to bring in the client to the door, mm -hmm. what is the goal of UX writing? It's to keep them. Uh huh. You had a great post a few months ago where you talked about that people don't care about your company. Uh -huh. They don't care about your product. Uh -huh. And we sort of have the same mentality where once we get people in the door, we want to make sure that our product actually solves a problem for them and does so with as little effort and time as possible. We cannot assume that people are going to take the time to read everything and to put in a lot of effort to figure out how something works. It has to be clear at first glance. And that is a combination of UX design and UX writing. Mm -hmm. And UX writing is so powerful because it is the most human part of a UI. It's language. Yeah. If you don't have words, you end up with shapes and colors. You end up not quite knowing where to go next, what to do. We quite um, often say that we design with words. Yeah. Uh -huh. I had a great moment actually nice. where my dad finally figured out what I do for a living, <laughs> where That's he wanted to, he wanted to order something quite expensive uh -huh. and he got to the point where he had to choose a delivery method. And it said at the top, choose the day and time that suits you best. Uh -huh. And then below it said standard delivery. That was it. And uh -huh. he was like, there's no time. There's no day. I don't know what to do here. And he's of an older generation. So he picked up the phone yeah. and oh called, he took the time. He picked up the phone and called the company and said, what do I do? And the company said, click that. And then we will contact you with options for date and times. As a UX writer, I listened to that. And I thought to myself, here's my dad who actually takes the time to call. Yeah. How many users dropped off at that point? Yeah. How many people went to a competitor? Yeah. Why would you not take that information that you provided in the phone call, put that on the page so people know that and go, yeah, okay, and click on standard delivery and move on through the funnel and continue the sale. Oh, this is perfect. You can measure it. You yeah. can go to a support team and say, what parts of the product are super confusing for people? Uh -huh. We've done that countless times where we would essentially get rid of a support ticket type completely. Mm -hmm. We had one client that had hundreds of tickets about one topic. We went into the flow, 
tried a few things out with text alone, and those tickets were gone. And with the money that they saved, they hired another support agent. And this is the beauty of UX writing. You can measure it. This is the difference also with a lot of copywriting, where the work that we do, we can see both in data and in user behavior that it makes a difference on the bottom line for a company. And that's huge. Yeah, for us, support and customer success is a gold mine of information. Yeah, support yeah. tickets, those are the first people that we talk to when yeah. we start working with a client. Like, what are the pain points that your users yeah. are struggling with? Yeah. Because we are user driven mm -hmm. yeah. and data driven. And that then leads to being revenue driven because in the end yeah. you end up with, like Michelle said, an extra headcount or increasing uh, conversions or retention. Like it all goes back to revenue. So interesting because <laughs> in my head, before I learned about what you do, it was work of a UX designer. Hmm. Yeah. It's like, well, this is her job. UX mm -hmm. designer designs stuff so people understand what's working was not. Yeah. Talk me through about the distinction mm. that what kind of things people are missing out if they're thinking like I used to think. Yep. So Good question. we collaborate very closely with UX designers of the clients that we have because we essentially sit around the same proverbial virtual table whenever we start looking at a problem that we're trying to solve for a user. The or a new product that we're building together. Uh -huh. The main distinction is that we're looking at it from two different viewpoints. So a designer might not be a native speaker. There are certain cultural nuances in language that might be different. We might be able okay. to come up with a verb that works better. And again, a lot of the work that we do is actually information architecture, where yeah. we look at a design and say, you don't need this entire text block. Remove it. Make this button go down here. Simplify the design. Yeah. It's, a, it's a very tight collaboration. We Our work informs one another. Um, we always yeah. uh, recommend that or we insist on getting us involved as early on in the yeah. process because one of the biggest mistakes that we see companies making is waiting until the very end just before they launch mm -hmm. to get basically you know you spent all this money bringing in a, a ux writer and then you just ask them to proofread mm -hmm. your work but no because a lot of companies think that you know mm -hmm. they bring up bring in the ux writer because yeah. they like the buzzword but they don't actually know how to use utilize their skills mm -hmm. so when is the best timing to bring in and bring out the ux writer we usually come in right after discovery so when a team has a lot of preliminary findings of user behavior pain points pain points and terminology that might be confusing or a different feature that they either want to upgrade or create from scratch and then Olin and i sort of look at it again from the ux writing perspective where we essentially design with words we sort of map out the conversation that would happen between the user and the UI. Uh -huh. And that informs the design together with the UX designer. So we always say we can start with a draft copy. That happens as well sometimes mm -hmm. where the designer comes up with the text and then we provide variations for testing. So we always say get us after discovery, but before you test your prototype or your early wireframes with mm -hmm. users. Because talking to users as writers is a gold mine. Mm -hmm. We will often sit in US usability interviews with the UX designer, but in the background, because all we're listening to is like the words that people use. Very yeah. often users will say, when you say this, do you mean, first of all, that means that it's not clear. And second of mm -hmm. all, the user is probably using more everyday words, not jargon and internal words that you use all the time. Right to help inform the UI better and make it more human and less confusing. And then we'll usually yeah. use that to come up with variations. And like Michelle said before, it's super important um, to, to repeat that UX writers spend probably 50% of their time providing UX feedback and UX rationale. Mm -hmm. So it's not just grammar and spelling. <laughs> yeah, it's not just like, let's make this sound catchy and make sure that the spelling is on point. <laughs> exactly. There's one point that I think that normal pointed mm -hmm. out very well. This is not a question. We're going to pick up questions. There are a lot of amazing mm -hmm. questions as well. One thing you're missing to address so far is target audience. Mm -hmm. Product look and feel should be based on like who is our end user, like gender, age, region, etc. How do you work with that? Accessibility, all of those things. Yeah. It's a good incredibly good point. So we, we always say that whenever we provide variations of UX copy, 
we don't care what ends up being in the final product because we are not building things for ourselves. Nice. And UX writing is actually a really great way to find out if what is written in the product is only based on internal bias, internal understanding of a product, things like that. And that tends to happen in those interviews with users where they are unsure of what something means, um, if it actually is addressing their pain points. And like you mentioned, gender and age, like, is it actually mm. written in a way that will resonate with users? Because yeah. not every company needs to sound hip and young and cool because some things are just, that, a lot of yeah. people do that. They think that their product will sell better if they sound a certain way. You're like, we're like, you're selling a banking app. Yeah. It's okay <laughs> if it's a bit boring, as long as it's clear. We're it talking, needs to fit the yeah. audience. We're talking about people's money if we're working with a banking app. Yeah. If we're working with insurance, it needs to be super clear what you get out of it, what you're supposed to do yeah, to right. get your claim, you know? Yeah, it's okay to bring in some brand and some moments of delight into the product. But the most important thing is whoever your audience is, do they understand it? Is yeah. it clear to, to them? them? Yeah, and right. the whole market aspect, uh, that's a good question because localization is very important. And traditionally what most companies have done is they have English as the source language and then they localize it. But what we're seeing now is a trend where a lot of companies that are like nationally focused, like in Denmark, there are a lot of a lot of companies that are, you know, just based in Denmark. Mm -hmm. And now you see Danish UX writers appearing. And nice. So a lot of uh -huh. local UX writing happening, which I think is super exciting. Mm. And there's going to be more of that happening for sure. I love that. You're spearheading it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we're going to take questions now. There are a lot of great ones. Yeah. And then we're going to go back to our land agenda because you're <laughs> steering the conversation. So yeah. let's answer what's interesting for you. And let's see what other questions you've got. Mm -hmm. So... Lee is asking us, when working with companies, what is the biggest thing you see them missing in terms of UX writing? Mm, the biggest thing. Yeah, what is it that they usually miss out on? Well, it's it's not just what, what they miss out on. I think Olene already touched upon it, is just having a very clear understanding what UX writing is. Exactly. Mm. and what they are aiming to get out of it. Like we said before, if you do UX writing properly, you can actually measure the results. We always say that if you hire us, we pay for ourselves because the changes that we make should make a difference for your bottom line and should pay for the changes that we've made. So we've, we've experienced sometimes with like companies bringing us in to do UX writing, but then not quite knowing or understanding the value of that and understanding how much effort goes into that. Like you actually having to put in the time with the UX research, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And then you're met with companies actually just deciding to go with copy based on their own internal opinions and biases. We like yeah. to call this hippo. Mm -hmm. it's, that's not ours. We've gotten that from somewhere else. Mm -hmm. The, uh, what is it? Highest paid person's opinion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, yeah. that's one of those common mistakes. Like, it's like, yeah, we're super user driven and, and product led. And then you find out that, oh. no, it's just the hippo who's I calling think, the shot. I think mm. the most important thing, if you're thinking of bringing on a UX writer, even if it's on a freelance basis, have a very clear goal in mind. We love OKRs. We love KPIs. We always ask, what do you want to get out of this super concretely? Yeah. Is it an increase in conversion? Mm. Is it an increase in retention? Do you want more people to press on this button? Do you want more people to make use of this feature? Things like and that. And if you hire a UX writer, let them do their job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Don't let the hippo in the room. Yes. <laughs> There's a lot of opinions and opinions are fine, but they tend to influence copy a lot because right. everyone can write. Yeah, everyone's everyone a writer. Speak. And it's because there's such a low threshold to being able to write words that a lot of people have an opinion on the work that you do. Mm. But like I said before, a lot of the work that we do has very little to do with the words that we use and actually a lot more about the considerations that we have around design elements. And yeah. also a lot of aspects related to localization and how yeah. it will translate. If you're sitting there important. and you're, you're trying to come up with a concrete way to measure success with a UX writer, you can think outside of product as well. A lot of clients that we work with have customer success managers who spend a lot of time handholding new clients and trying to make them use certain features. We always kind of joke that it's called customer success, not product success. So mm. customer success, in our opinion, it should be to have the customer have success with the product and make it tailor-made to their experience. Right. But if you have to spend hours onboarding a customer and explain every single feature, 
maybe there's something to be done in the product UI mm -hmm. that the customer success manager doesn't have to do. Exactly. Imagine if you could free up hours of time for one customer success manager so they could do other stuff that's, because the UI is clear. Quite often, we, <laughs> quite often we can do the, the smallest, we say small tweak, big impact. Yeah. And that's true quite yeah. often. And it's not very expensive often, either. No, but mm. it can be very quickly overseen mm -hmm. if you just sit in your corner and do yes. that job. Of course. And well, suddenly the app is working a little better and customer success is doing mm. that. So, And that was the next question from Arabelle about as well. It's There's a lot written down, but the most important part is at the end. How can we lead a change in mentality yeah. that UX writers are not the first ones to get mm -hmm. beat? Yeah. Getting rid of. So Everybody you need to write. you need to be able to prove your value. Mm -hmm. And the way you do that is for every single project, you decide early on with the product manager and the UX designer, what is the goal of this pro project that you're working on? What are mm -hmm. the success criteria? So that you can measure that both qualitatively and quantitatively, mm -hmm. because then you have numbers. Like we can sit here today and go, we actually helped a support team get an entire new headcount based on decreasing support tickets from 100 to zero wow. because we fixed mm. the problem yeah. with copy. Yeah. So you need to be able to prove your worth yeah. with numbers. We did like an internal road show, right? Where we like made it very transparent and very clear the kind of ting sorry, things that we did to improve certain numbers so that other departments would know, okay, that actually improved matters. But I think what it really comes down to is leadership mentality. Mm. If yeah. leadership understands the power of UX beyond UX writing, just UX in general, if that company and leadership understands if we cut on this, we actually sabotage our own efforts. You know, so I think that's that's kind mm. of what it comes I mean, down to. For me personally, that's why I really got into UX writing because I came from the creative world. Like, yeah. 12 years ago, yeah, PR. Like working in yeah, PR and yeah. agencies. And then I got this job at Trustpilot and found out that, you know, the just making something sound nice and grammatically correct and being super creative didn't always convert. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. that was, you know, kind of a crazy experience for me <laughs> coming from a different creative world. Yeah. And then working with these product teams and trying out variations and testing it out. Like I get high off of it. I'm super passionate about like, look yeah. what I did. Yeah. <laughs> we so do the nice. exact same thing, just in very different ways. Yeah. You guys are also all about proving what works yeah. and yeah. do that again and again and again uh -huh. and scale it. We do the exact same thing. We figure out what works, what doesn't, put that to the side and then implement what actually works. And then keep iterating. Amazing. So. Mm -hmm. Another question, mm. UX writing similar to UX research and interaction design? It all goes together. It goes mm -hmm. together. So UX researchers are best buddies in the world, right? Because yeah. they actually provide us with the meat on the bone. They provide us with the findings that we need to first of all, identify what certain pain points are if things are clear to users, because once again, we, we have experience with a lot of different types of industries and a lot of different types of verbs and synonyms and whether or not a design element should be here or there or nowhere at all. But without a UX researcher to actually test it out and make sure it resonates, mm -hmm. we'd also be just like, you know, looking around in the dark and going, we think it works. We don't know. Yeah. And, and that's what I was saying before. Like, of course, you can hire someone to do the UX research and the UX design and the UX writing. But you're going to that person will be stretched too thin. It's better to have people specialized in, you know, what they're best at. Mm -hmm. And, you know, before this call, Michelle and I were just sitting and looking at some user interviews that this amazing UX researcher had done. And this person is specialized in asking questions the right way to get the right information out of the user. And then we were just sitting there taking notes like, yes, this is beautiful. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Nice. No, it's, it's a partnership. It is. Yeah. It and is. then again, it's not a part of your job mm. to go out and ask and mm. to talk and because I mean, we can. Yeah. There are some companies, yeah. right, where that is an integrated part of what a UX designer and a UX writer does. And uh -huh. sometimes product managers as well. Yeah. 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 And yeah. then you have some companies that have teams of 50 UX writers, yeah. Wix, Airbnb, Netflix, all those companies. Of course, it comes down to what can you afford? We understand that some startups can't have. Then again, we've had some startup clients that were the best clients to have because they That's true. They got it. They essentially were trying to just build an app for mobile where you have limited space. You want to yeah. be very clear. You don't have the budget to lose any users. So onboarding, logging in, signing up, all of those things had yeah. to be clear from go. Well, these startups also understood 
the value of using UX to win and, and convert customers and then be able to go to their investors and say, look what we did, look mm. how much we have improved. It's working. When you have the numbers, like that's how you can often get the next investment round. Yeah. We're all rather about than just life. say, look, we launched this website. Isn't it pretty? Yeah. Oh, but is it is it working? Precisely. Exactly. There is a question, especially about the leadership and proof of value oh. and everything. So <laughs> yeah. based on what you touched on, have you found some best practices for managing the sometimes large volume of opinions, pushbacks mm. on the writing. Everybody yeah. can write. Well, that's huh? where it comes down to starting off the right way with the success criteria. Yeah. So always going back to reminding everyone, hey, what did we want to get out of this? Yeah. yeah. And, are, and are we actually achieving that? And how are we going to prove that? Well, we need to go out and test it on users. We can't just test it on the CEO. Mm -hmm. I, I who are always, we trying to make happy? Yeah. I always, whenever I have a conversation with someone who has a very strong opinion on a piece of copy, and it, it tends to be an emotionally driven response. Yeah. And I always come back to them and I say, can you tell me what you are basing this on? Yeah. Uh -huh. Because I always want to, I never want to assume the worst, right? I always want to assume that someone is coming to me with yeah. new information that is valuable for me to know that I can maybe sort of, you know, integrate into the work that I'm doing. So when you start asking those questions where you go, what are you basing it on? Can you show me some other places mm -hmm. where you've tried this and it worked? What is your hypothesis? And then you quickly find out that a lot of it is based on internal bias and yeah. opinion. And that's fine. But then I would rather that they come out and say it mm -hmm. because then I can always go back and say, that's wonderful. But as you can see in this graph, we've tried that before in the past yeah. and it didn't work. And if you're really insistent on trying it out, let's test it out. Mm -hmm. Let's take these different variations and see what exactly. works. Exactly. Like you were saying before, there's no ego in UX writing. No. It's about the user. It's so empathy. let's test yeah. out everything. You have a great idea, CEO, bring it on. Yeah. Let's uh -huh. test it out. Yeah. If your version wins, beautiful. Cool. Yeah. yeah. But it comes down to what works. Yeah. Love that. And there is a follow-up question from Arabelle on this one. Lovely. It, it's like following the full thread. <laughs> so what's the right balance between data-driven decisions and or launching then gathering the results? Yes. yes. Love well, that. It's important to always find that balance between mm. the company goals mm. and the user's needs. Mm. Because at the end of the day, you, you know, you have to launch at some point. Right? Yeah. Yeah. We've had a, a project that was, I mean, I'm sure that a lot of people will find this a very familiar sounding. We had a project that was supposed to be an MVP, yeah. was supposed to launch fast mm -hmm. so that we could learn fast and make adjustments. And it ended up being a fully fledged product that took over a year to build. <laughs> yeah, because they weren't, it, it wasn't an MVP no. in the end. Yeah. So it's, it again, it's about figuring out how much time do you have? Do you have an entire quarter to do this? Do you have a week to do this? Do you have a year to do this? Are you going to spend a lot of time upfront doing mm -hmm. research and making sure that it's as close to good as possible? Or do you want to launch fast, learn and adjust? Ugh. But pick one. And it's always, it should be, if it's product led, it should be an iterative process. You should never be done. You're constantly improving your product. You're listening to your users. You're finding out what yeah. works, what doesn't work. So just there's, launch it. There's a, a, a sadly still a high number of companies that think that the launch date is a success criteria. It's live. Yeah, We're done. Yeah, what, it's successful. Yeah, it's sometimes like, we'll ask, like, yeah. what's the goal uh -huh. of launching? Now the work begins, right? Like once you've launched and you, yeah. you're, you're darling out into the wild and you're like, oh, God, I hope it works. If it doesn't crash, yes, that's great. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that it's as successful as it could be. There might be more that you can do. And writing is a great way to this. do it because there's not a lot of engineer cost and time connected yeah. to it. Copy is a great way to just tweak something and see, does that work better? Even wow. a 5% increase is huge for some companies. Yeah. A lot. But as UX writers, we have to find that balance yeah. all the time yeah. because you have all of these internal stakeholders with yeah. their company goals. Brand is a really good example. Like UX writers and brand writers should actually work together. And quite often there's a there's a clash. You have exact question. About is there a question ahead. about yes, brand? Yes, so yes. So what we yes. always say is, oh, what's the question? How is does UX perfect? writing and marketing brand teams mm. work together? Okay. Is there an overlap? Yes, there absolutely is. Yeah, like we were be. saying before, like the brand and the marketing team, they're working really hard on getting people into like 
to buy the product, right? And then the UX writers take over, but there should be a red thread. Mm. You don't want to, you know, use the product and then it doesn't sound like the same company. Mm. And that's why the brand tone of voice is super important. Mm. But you don't want that tone of voice to take over the product because that's mm. a very creative, mm. often quite emotional tone of voice. So it's okay mm. to sprinkle some moments of delight yeah. into your product. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's supposed to be clear, concise, and useful. Mm -hmm. And the brand should not come in and take over. Mm -hmm. I think, it needs to be a balance. Uh, I think, like we said before, we find a lot of like golden nuggets when we speak to customer success and look at support tickets. A lot of value that we get from those conversations is listening to how customer success managers describe features and what they call them. Uh -huh. Because if you're on a phone call with a client and you're calling a feature one thing and that client writes it down as they do, like, oh, I'll, I'll look that up after this call. That sounds great. That's exactly what I'm looking for. And then they go into the product and it's called something else yeah. because someone in product said this is what it should be called because reasons. The client mm. is not going to be able to find it. And even if they do find it, there will probably be a moment of confusion because they're not sure if this is exactly what it was. Mm -hmm. So we always try to make sure that when we collaborate with marketing, with brand, that what is being used for product and feature naming is consistent across the board. And the key there is actually work together. Have yeah. a weekly or a biweekly meeting where you yeah. talk mm -hmm. about content because you're all creating content and you should sound like the same company. You just have different goals. Yeah. yeah. And a follow-up question on that goes into UX accessibility, mm. product accessibility, mm. not UX. Sorry. Yes, please. Yeah. Yes, please. So what role does UX writing play in the product accessibility? Huge role. Huge role. Uh, we had a, a moment just a few days ago where we had to tell a client, please stop using emojis in your bullet point listings. Because when you are, blind and you have technology that reads text out loud for you, it reads the text of the emoji and then the actual line <laughs> of the bullet point. And it is Never super it is super confusing to listen to. So it will say, red balloon, we just had a party, detective glasses. Yeah. We're trying to find out what to do next. And it's it's super confusing, right? But so we're also yeah. still learning this. We are still very we new are. and just yeah. trying to, to um, learn and yeah. provide our clients with all of this important both. information. Another thing with accessibility is the actual understanding of English, like the level of English that your users might have. Because yes, a lot of companies are going global or they want to conquer yeah. the American market. Is it market. universal English or is it American English? Is it, mm -hmm. is, it, British yeah. English. is it British English? Is it university level English? Is it too technical? Not everyone understands everything on a certain level of mm -hmm. English. Lovely. And the nice thing about UX writing principles is that because it's all about being clear, concise, and useful, you kind of eliminate two technical terms. You make sure that it's understandable for just about everyone. Yeah. We absolutely recommend that every product team have a product UX writing style guide. So because every company has a style guide and it's usually created by the brand team to sort of walk you through the tone of voice and mm -hmm. the colors and the logos, et cetera. But within product, it's just, it's very different. And you're learning all because you're, you're testing and you're iterating. So you're getting all of these amazing findings about your users and what works. You need to document that. Yeah. And when it comes to accessibility, like, so when you hire more UX writers, they can see how do we write? How do we take mm -hmm. at our company? How do we take accessibility into consideration when we are creating content within the product? Because it's so Very much information for one UX writer to remember, right? You need it to is. have a style guide. And yeah. if there's more than one writer. If you hire new writers that need to learn how it works in your product department, mm -hmm. who's going to give them that information? Yeah. And then if you have, you know, at Trustpilot, I had a huge localization team. I made every single one of them have a style guide as well for their language. Yeah. It's a very interesting point about localization. There's also a question about that. If a company is going from mar one market to the other, mm. trying to reach it, let's mm. say American company going to Asia, that's the question mm. is about. Do you have experiences of what is it that they have to make sure of that yeah. they nail it? So there, we would definitely recommend that, like Olene mentioned before, you start off with the English source language. And one of the biggest reasons that we're doing this is that we're seeing, especially in the tech industry, a lot of these companies are multinational companies. English is the language that's being spoken. Everyone needs to understand it. But then when you break into a new market, you're, you're going to want to look into localization. And the reason that you want to do this is because it's not a simple question of translation. It's about understanding the cultural nuance and the meaning of a language. There are, I think we had Japanese at Trustpilot as mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. And 
there it was very very tricky not just in the sense of design because that's a whole different thing try <laughs> translating or localizing localizing your app into finnish your buttons become super long <laughs> so that's one thing but when yeah. it comes to a culture that is maybe very very different from yours you want to make really sure that you're not insulting anyone yeah you want to make really sure that there isn't any like colloquialism in your copy or any inside jokes that only work in american culture that would be offensive elsewhere and i don't want to break that. anyone's brain but it's actually not just the words you use sometimes in some markets it's also the colors wow yeah. uh-huh like in some color like some colors you know might mean like elegance yeah. in one market and another mm -hmm. market it means death yeah. mm -hmm. exactly red might be a good color instead of stop so <laughs> but it's it's definitely thinking about you need to bring in an expert from that market for sure and that yeah. person needs to yeah. you know teach you about that culture and provide content for that market yeah let's talk about revenue yes my please. favorite topic <laughs> yes. ours too <laughs> good <laughs> so one of the things that we put down as an agenda point is talk through how ux writing taps into revenue mm -hmm. how do you see this so we've had a few examples with clients where some of the work that we did had a profound impact on the bottom line of mm -hmm. the company so there would be tweaks that we made where we would see that more people would sign up people would stay longer people would engage more with the product so it just had a direct impact on the actual revenue that came in. Well, yeah. And I mean, before when we were defining the difference between copywriting and UX writing, mm. that was the very traditional definition. Mm. But what we're seeing more and more by people re requesting it mm. is that they actually want help with their business website. So the marketing website mm. um, by UX writers, mm. because we can go in and help with the information architecture of the pricing page, for example, mm. subscriptions, mm. Um, the login, as mm. you said, making sure that the checkout flow works. So yeah. you can actually apply mm -hmm. some of those UX writing principles that you would use in the product yeah. to your business website, even though it's like officially it's on the marketing side. Yeah, yeah. But we get more and more requests for that. And it's actually working out quite well because it allows us to create that red thread even more. Yeah. yeah. It's also like levels, right? Because for us, we never just look at our slice of the pie in a company. Mm -hmm. So we define together with the UX designer, what do we want to get out of this? Then we look at the OKRs that a product manager has. Then we look at the things that customer success and support might be struggling with. And then we go all the way to the top and say, what does the CEO actually want to see at the end of the quarter, at the end of the year? What do the investors expect to see? And what part of the puzzle are we? Because it has a ripple effect. Yeah. Like this is the crazy part about UX writing. We think that we're sitting in a corner working on a feature, but we have a ripple effect across the entire company yeah, yeah, yeah. with just a word that we remove here or there or something that we you know, call something else. Yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden customers are like, now I get it. Now I want to use it. Now I want to stay, yeah. extend my subscription, upgrade my plan, things like that. Very cool. Mm -hmm. And taking your dad's example, for example. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the person on the other side would not have needed to pick up the phone. Yep. Time saved there. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, your dad might have dropped off. <laughs> it's like he didn't. He might have recommended it to another person if it had been a very smooth experience. And even further, yeah. yeah. Because again, he picked up the phone. I would have left. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I looked at that page and I was like, this is confusing. I'm going to look elsewhere. Yeah. And it's only because he comes from a different generation and mm. he was like, now I found this thing and I spent two days, two days looking for different versions that I really want to buy. So I'll, I'll call someone because uh -huh. that's what he does. And I was like, I would leave dad yeah. because it's confusing. And now I don't trust it anymore. Uh -huh. And it was all these small things that led to distrust of this company. And you have to sort of sit as, you know, a professional on your end as well, where you're like, how many points in the user journey are actually chipping away yeah. at the yeah, trust yeah, that people yeah. have? And there are just, I mean, we have some examples. We can't go into like specific numbers, mm. but but there are some crazy numbers out there on like the whole, the Google hotels. Google hotels uh, example. One? I don't yeah. know if you know that one. No, but go it's on. a great example of the, the small tweak, uh -huh. big impact. So they, for the longest time, mm. had this button where you, do you remember what it said? Book now. Yeah. You would type in the date that you wanted to book a hotel, and then it would say book now. Book now. now. That uh -huh. was the CTA. Yeah. Uh -huh. And then the Google team 
they tried all these different variations and then when they changed it to check availability, check availability they changed the CT because then the users didn't have to commit it's a mindset. mindset it's, it's, a mindset. it's all like, it really comes down to psychology yeah. it does and as soon as they did that yeah like I think it was eight percent more in conversions or something. Amazon earned it was three, crazy. Amazon earned three hundred million dollars more a year because they added checkout as guest, because people can't be bothered to continue with an account. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's the UX writer who's like, we need this button because of yeah. user mentality. To the UX writers out there who want to mm -hmm. prove value, like find some really cool examples online and then go to your CEO and, then go to your and CEO say, and go see, we could do like Amazon. Exactly. Just, like, just let's just test out a few CTAs. See what happens. What's the worst that could happen? You go yeah. back to your draft and go back to I business as usual. Netflix has like a hundred UX writers. Or Netflix, had, Netflix had their whole register now versus try for free for 30 days. Uh -huh. Right. So that one was also huge. They had a lot more like Netflix is now going down the pipes, but back in the day, <laughs> They did that test, right? And they had a lot more users sign up because there wasn't any commitment. It was the exact same functionality. Just a CTA. Yeah. But it made a huge difference in signups. It's it's amazing. Small it reminds me of impact. a story yeah. from Chris Voss's book, Never Split the Difference. And I have to tell you. So there's yes. a monk going over to a priest and complaining to... No, he went over to the pro. Oh, the story is already lost. <laughs> Amazing. No. Again. No. Let's go again. No. So the monk is complaining to the other monk and saying that I asked the priest if I'm allowed to smoke while I'm praying. <laughs> the priest said no. The other one says, oh, that's weird. I've asked him if I can pray while I'm smoking. And he said yes. Mm -hmm. Just twist it. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> can I pray while yeah, I'm smoking? Yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah. No problem. That's the thing. It's like, you didn't leave with yeah. the right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. That's the front load the value. We always do that as well, where we like start every sentence with the most the important value. thing for the user because they're not going to read the entire sentence. Yeah. yeah. No one has time for that. We have a million apps on our phone. We get bombarded with Precisely. information all day long. No one has time for anything anymore. No. So it has to be super clear from go. Last fun question. Yes. Unless you've got more, then we're going to These are all great questions. No, but this one's actually like even more fun. Oh, okay. okay. Now, when we're talking about all those chat AIs and mm. computer writing uh, shit yeah. for us and yeah. so on, yeah. can you use that for UX writing? <laughs> I'm very happy that you asked that because that's been going at like it's been going uh -huh. on a lot in the industry and on yeah, LinkedIn yeah, yeah. like since last November, right? So I see a lot of. I wouldn't call it concern, but I'm seeing a lot of buzz, right? Mm -hmm. Where people are saying, oh, now we can use this to do everything. And I'm not concerned. And, and I'll tell you why, because I've thought about this at length. Everyone has in the UX writing field because it, it has an impact, right? It has to have an impact. And I thought about this and I sort of came to the following conclusion. AI is great. AI is fantastic. I have zero problem with AI. People tend to treat AI as though it's an actual human being that we have to be afraid of. Uh -huh. Like yeah. it's a person in the room that just came in to you know, steal our jobs. It's That's not it. It's a tool. Mm -hmm. AI, I think, is great to help us with mundane tasks, repetitive tasks, boring tasks that are wasting our time and effort and our skill sets. Yeah. So I've tried some of these AIs. We know the one that we're talking about. And I think it is fantastic when it has to produce large chunks of text, when it has to produce headlines, when you want to get rid of writer's blog. I don't think not it's as a replacement. Uh, not as a replacement. It can't quite do what it is that UX writers do. And I'll tell you why. UX writers work in designs that are comprised of a handful to maybe a couple dozen design elements on one screen, mm -hmm. and then a few other screens if it's a flow. So it can probably come up with really creative ways to name a button, write a paragraph, but making sure to that draw it's inspiration draw inspiration, it. but making sure that it's consistent across screens is going to be tricky. But the thing that I'm concerned about is not AI but it's how we're using it mm -hmm. because AI is never more than the input that we as human beings put into it. Right. And that goes back yeah. to the hippo, right? Yeah. And mm -hmm. how they decide yeah. to, and we're seeing, to work with it. We're seeing kind of a, a, a weird trend with AI in the sense yeah. that we're seeing a lot of AI being used for the creative jobs, uh -huh. for the yeah. illustrations, now with writing. Yeah. I think it's great that we have AI. I think it just says something when people think that AI can replace creatives altogether. 
that is not an AI problem. That's a mentality problem. That's saying that people, some people, perhaps don't have a full understanding or respect for the work that certain creatives do. It does mm -hmm. come down to educating people. On, yeah. And we've experienced that in the UX writing world so many times people mm. being like oh i don't need a ux writer we just we just hired this student mm. um they're a native speaker mm -hmm. they're good at grammar that's good right mm. that's perfect good luck it, could you imagine like, like we hear it often like we said before it comes down to not just leadership mentality but mentality in general and figuring out your your priorities mm -hmm. when you're working on a product or just owning a company altogether. If you want to be, we use the example all the time, a lot of companies want to be like Apple because Apple is successful and yeah. Apple is great. It's a fantastic brand. Why? Because it has great UX. Mm -hmm. The experience of using Apple products is stellar. Apple has put UX at the heart of everything that they do. So if you want to be like Apple, really be like Apple and prioritize UX. And it's mm -hmm. emotional, right? And it's personal. Like yeah. you can't do that with AI. No. You you can't. You can't tell the the personal Apple and, story. And again, if I ask <clears throat> if I ask AI to come up with synonyms for a button text, I actually have to tell the AI not just synonyms for the button text, but try and figure out for me if I even need this button here. Uh, and ah, this is very good. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because that's yeah. how I think yeah. of it. It's like I have the full picture. Taking, I, I try to do this exercise, I actually should document this sometime, where I try to find out how long it would take me to come up with the right things to say to get the same output as me sitting down and looking at some designs in Figma and coming up with the different output and the different yeah, designs. Yeah. Oh. And the AI could not do it because no. it was fixated on this one piece of text. Yeah. yeah. So, And I also think that if we talk about the long form content again, because that's kind of really what's stressing people out these days. Mm. Is like, are they, aren't they just all going to sound the same at some point if they're all reproducing the same thing again and again? And, and what about the brand tone of voice? No. Like you're no. going to lose it's the, the, the personal yeah. aspect. Yeah. It's the beauty the of the thing that makes yeah. people want to use your company instead of the other company. I mean, it's good mm -hmm. for the companies that are already used to do like blast cold emails Absolutely. to other companies Absolutely. so why do you need a person doing that Absolutely. if you can have a computer doing exactly then the there's same. variation Absolutely. you didn't care about that yeah. tone of voice anyway yeah. but if you're <laughs> yeah. but i think if you're looking at product designs and coming up with ways that actually work for people there's yeah. nothing more illogical than the human brain no and that's yeah. the thing ai is sometimes simply too logical yeah we'll be okay we're yes. not stressed so yet we are almost on the top of the hour are 10 we? minutes left yeah oh my gosh so we have we some... need another hour we do yeah. we're gonna have another lunch another hour and stuff like that but christoph michelle and oline as a freelance copywriter there's a comment for you Lovely. as a freelance copywriter who's being hired to do ux writing for agencies who mm -hmm. don't yet understand that UX is more than just copywriting, mm -hmm. how do you recommend opening up the conversation about the benefits of, I'll read that here, yeah, it, yeah. of uh, true UX writing. True UX, UX writing. You are, you are lucky because there is now a wealth of information out there. There's yeah. a wealth of case studies out there of the value and the power of UX writing. Even just two years ago, there was next to nothing. It's really exploded in the past couple of years. So well, I would find examples. And what we usually do with our clients is we say, when we're starting off with them, let's just do a test project. Uh -huh. Let's agree on what is our goal and make sure it's something that's super easy to measure, oh. very specific. And then by the end of that project, you can prove very clearly what the difference is between UX writing and copywriting because mm -hmm. you that. probably did a lot more than just you know make it sound nice and check the grammar and make sure that it was on brand you know you thought idea. about the the ux rationale and looked at the ux research and it's just a lot more layered right so you've hopefully been able to prove it that way mm -hmm. exactly what did we missed out on chatting about besides the questions that we have had is there oh. anything like really important that you think oh we should have spoken about this there's so much. There's a lot. Yeah, There's I so know. Much. I know. By yeah. the way, everybody who is online, mm -hmm. go and connect with the ladies on LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah. And uh, go follow the company as well. Go check out our website so that you can learn more about UX writing. Yeah. There's some sources on there as well. I think just the most important thing is if you're planning on 
working with UX writers just to make sure that you actually understand their role and make sure that you make them a part of the whole product development process. And if you do UX, actually do UX and just say that you're doing UX. Yeah, because that's a waste of everyone's time. (laughs) Chrissy, maybe stupid idea. You Mm. have a checklist on your website or somewhere Mm. like before hiring a UX writer. Yeah. Mm. What is it that you have to make sure that you've got? So so we don't, but there are checklists out there, yeah. or at least overviews of what to keep in mind yeah. when hiring or thinking of hiring a UX writer. Uh-huh. So there's some definitions on there. There's some success criteria on there. It's a good idea that we should put together yeah. something. Absolutely. But it's also about like retaining that UX writer and not experiencing churn after a few months, yep. because especially senior UX writers in the States have very clear expectations of tech companies that they work for. Yeah. And if you don't meet those expectations, then you end up losing them. Precisely. So absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to hire a person like this. So it's a mutual thing. Like they might leave or you might not see the yeah, value. So you 100%. better make it work. And 100%. don't ask one person to do everything. No. Yeah. Don't group together a bunch of titles. <laughs> Because that that won't help you very much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you probably wouldn't do that with other roles, right? Like to go back to the whole like yeah. anyone can yeah. write. I always joke about like mm-hmm. you wouldn't do that to, to a developer, right? Like, hey, Laura, Bob is sick. Can you go do some coding? Yeah, like <laughs> you did at university. Go Could you go code for him? Like, yeah. Yeah. like, well, I don't know how. Yeah. Or I wasn't trained. And again, that, that tends to come down to the understanding of the role, right? Like no one, presumably no one is doing this on purpose. They just think that it's similar enough that it can be grouped together. Yeah. So it's about educating yourself and getting the right person to apply for the role instead of a mishmash of things that kind of fit, but not really. You know, you want to be successful. And if you're dealing with investors, it also comes down to teaching them the importance of investing in UX. That might be a nice little note to end on. Like when, if you're dealing with investment rounds and when to hire, like we always say you could do it, you know, during pre-seed, but we usually say after series A is a really good time to get at least a freelance UX writer. Even if it's just for one feature, get them involved there, see what it does. And then you can always branch out. Because again, if we do our jobs right, we pay for ourselves. That's right. There's a final question that we missed out. Yeah. Farina, I'm very sorry. It seems like it went through. So a lot of European companies tend to delegate localization and content adaptation tasks to UX writing teams. Do you agree with this? I'll let you take this one. Uh, Does he mean like that we are... UX writers are responsible for localization. Yeah, I mean, that's basically what we did at at Trustpilot, right? It is. There needs Um, to be a clear distinction, however. So UX writers, when we did it at Trustpilot, the way that we would do it is that, yes, Olin and I were were responsible for the English copy in the product, and then we would pass it on to our localization team who would localize it. And they would have us as in-house resources to reach out to and say, what do you mean by this? What do you mean by that? And we would always have multiple variations in the work that we did because mm-hmm. not everything works in all languages. So we would have multiple versions that maybe worked better for another yeah. market. So they would always have access to that. But I think we need to be very clear that the UX writer should not be responsible for delegating localization tasks to localization managers. For that, you need a localization coordinator. Because I do see this happening in companies where the UX yeah. writer also has to give things to the people who translate and localize. And all of a sudden, they're spending all of their time coordinating. Well, also, you have all of these different product teams and product managers, and they are the experts within their area of the product. UX writers, we are like, I'm an expert on that part when I'm working on it, and then I'm moving on to the next. Mm. So really it's the experts who should be helping the localization team as well right because a ux writer we know a lot but we can't we, we don't know as much as the as the product manager for right. example yeah right. they should be able to answer because they if they do their job right have a lot of questions love this everybody who were listening asking questions this was an amazing session thank you so much <laughs> for engaging we hope you like listening to us subscribe to our podcast and the ones that we have been guests on. And if you have any feedback for us, uh, just do let us know. And should there be a guest that you think we should be talking to, then like pitch us. We're looking forward to seeing you.